Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, this is Palm Sunday, and this is a day of celebration. We already saw on the screen, celebrating the King of Kings, and that's so exciting. We sang Hosanna. We're going to look at a little bit more into Palm Sunday. Where, where did that come from, the term, uh, what is happening? But it's six days before Passover. It's one week before what we call Easter Sunday. This is the final week of Jesus Christ's life on earth. And it's captured in the New Testament... Uh, across 28 chapters. There's 28 chapters that are devoted to the final week of Jesus' life in the four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a total of 89 chapters. And 28 of those are specifically dedicated to recording the events of the last week of Jesus' life. Think about it this way. Three and a half years of his public ministry, there's 61 chapters devoted to three and a half years. And there's 28 devoted to the last seven days. And so that final week, we know more about, so much more about Christ's final week than we do of any other week in the Bible. And Palm Sunday, the Palm Sunday event, triggers the countdown to the greatest week in Earth's history since creation. So Jesus is on his way with his disciples on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's making his way. He's gone most of the way already through that 37-kilometer, very difficult hike trip up to Jerusalem. And he's right near the end. He's at the Mount of Olives. And he sort of comes to this town of Bethphage. Actually, let's read. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 21 today. So if you can find Matthew chapter 21... Um, this is a part of the Gospels that we, I selected for just to follow through. But if you want to look across all these chapters in the New Testament that have to do this with this week of this last week of Jesus' life, I, I really challenge you to do it. There's so much there. But in Matthew chapter 21, as the disciples and Jesus have reached that one spot, verses 1 to 3 says, as they approached Jerusalem. So they were on their approach to Jerusalem. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage. On the Mount of Olives. And there Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell me that tell tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Well, by this point, the disciples have been with Jesus long enough that they realize they should just do what Jesus tells them to do. So they don't question that, and we see a few verses later, if you want to keep reading along, starting in verse 6, it says that the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. He sat on the cloaks. The idea here, I sort of think, when you look at these details, you think, why are you spending so many details about how Jesus rode into? It's important. It's important because the verses just before this verse 6, the verses tell us why. It says that this took place to fulfill a prophecy. This specific thing that happened, that Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a specific type of donkey with a foal that was there. It's important that we know that that happened because it has been prophesied. It says this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Very important that that's there. Why, why so important? This is a prophecy that has been fulfilled, the prophecy that was declared by Zechariah. Zechariah verse 9 of chapter 9. It's important because we realize that the people that were there would have realized this. They knew Zechariah 9 and verse 9 more than we did. But what does that verse say? Here's this prophecy. See, and look how parallel it is to what the verses we just read in, in Matthew chapter 21. Here's the prophecy in Zechariah 9, hundreds of years before it actually happened. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That is incredible to see prophecy fulfilled before your very eyes for the children of Israel that were there, that Jewish community that saw what was happening. Many people had the idea that Jesus was the Messiah already. They wonder, many people wondered. In fact, he's at the height of his popularity. He's known throughout the nation. In fact, he's just come from raising Lazarus from the dead. Word would have spread. They would have known Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. And he comes back to Jerusalem and he sends his disciples to go get a specific thing, a donkey to ride on, because it needed to be fulfilled, the prophecy that has been written hundreds and hundreds of years before that. So Jesus is recognized as in this situation, by the people, he's recognized as the rightful king. You're the rightful king because you fulfilled the prophecy. We thought you were the Messiah, and here you are fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. You might be thinking, how would they know Zechariah 9.9? Oh, they would know. Part of their culture, they would have been raised knowing the prophecy of the Messiah that was one day going to come and deliver them. They would have held it close to their hearts. They would have been as familiar with it as our culture is with the jingle that goes along with McDonald's. And it's kind of a sad commentary on our culture. We know fast food theme songs, and other people know Zechariah 9.9, right? But here we are. We're in that situation. That's how familiar that verse and that passage would have been to them. This is the promise of a coming Messiah. And they would have been incredibly excited to see, and there would have been hundreds and thousands of people that were there. The city of Jerusalem, normally around 50,000 people, a big city, during the time of Passover, as people came from all over the nation to celebrate Passover as a nation, the population would swell to over 200,000. And so there would be thousands of people that would be witnessing what has happened. And here we have how they recognize Jesus as the rightful king. Having understood Zechariah 9, 9. And it says also in Matthew, back to Matthew chapter 21, if you go and look at verse 9, it says, When the people saw Jesus riding on the foal of a donkey, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Very important particular words that they chose. First, son of David. Why call him son of David? Because he was in direct descendant of David, their king, from days gone by. And so in order to be a rightful king, you had to be able to show your descendant of David. And they called out son of David. They were declaring him the rightful king. They called out Hosanna. They knew that he was the king who should be sitting on the throne. The Jews recognized this by spreading out their cloaks for him. It says that they spread out their cloaks for him to pass by on. 
That was a tradition, an ancient custom that people threw down their garments to make a carpet for a royal procession. And so there's the people recognizing that there's the rightful king. Now let's remember what the situation was in Rome or in Jerusalem with the Romans around. Jerusalem wasn't a free country. They were under Roman rule. They were under the thumb and the hard, heavy-handed Roman rule. And so they grew up with that kind of oppression. And imagine what a Passover would be like. Remember, Passover is the celebration of the time when God freed the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt. And so hundreds of years have gone by and they still celebrate the fact that they were liberated from their bondage. They're celebrating their freedom that they've given. It's ironic, don't you think, that they're celebrating it now while they're under the rule of another nation, Rome. And so the Romans would allow them, allow them this celebration time, but they were keeping a watchful eye for sure. The crowds were looking for something specific. They were considering that their Messiah would be the one who brought salvation, who would bring deliverance. And for them, deliverance and salvation was from uh, this political oppression. They were expecting, they were anticipating, they were hoping and praying for political freedom, that their nation would once again be a, be a free nation that they would be able to to direct their own affairs and that God himself would free them from Roman rule. And so that's what they were expecting when it came down to that deliverance. But Jesus came to give a different type of victory. He's a victorious king, yes. And they call out Hosanna, which means save, to save us. We'll look more at that in a moment. But he came not to give political freedom or political deliverance, or political liberation. He came to give his life as an atonement, atonement for sin. The word atonement we don't use very often, it's paying the price for. Jesus came to give his life so that he would pay the price for sin. And he was paying the price for the sin of the people who were watching him come in and wanted to declare him king. He was also paying the price for the sin of the people that were on the side of Rome. For, Rome, for the Romans themselves. He was paying the price for my sin and paying the price for your sin. That's why he came. He came to bring that kind of freedom. He was that kind of savior. The, sal- the salvation and the deliverance that he brought was salvation from sin and from death and from penalty. And therefore, to ask for salvation from this true king, from this true savior, is to admit that we are sinners, that we are in need of salvation. This cry of Hosanna, we think of it as a a victory cry. We think of it as a cry of victory where we say, Lord, save. Palm branches were a symbol of, ancient symbol of victory, and the word Hosanna comes from Psalm 118 that is translated more commonly as Lord, save us. So the crowds, not knowing what they were looking at, were crying, Hosanna. It is a cry of victory, because the Lord is the one who saves. It recognizes that Jesus has the power to save. So these people, when they're calling out Hosanna, they recognize that Jesus did have the power to save them. And they had witnessed the power, or they had heard to, they had talked to people who had personally witnessed some of his power. 
and most recently raising Lazarus from the dead. And so they recognize by saying Hosanna that Jesus does have the power to save. But by also calling out for salvation, there's a cry of desperation as well, knowing that you are in need of salvation. You don't cry out for salvation unless you are in recognize that you're in need of salvation. If you've ever been in a situation where you need help, before you call out for help, you have to recognize that you can't get out yourself. You, can't, you need that help. And so here's that cry of a needy desperation. And then we see not only is he a victorious king, and is he the, the righteous king, he's also a gentle king. Rightful, victorious, and gentle. The last verse in Zechariah 9 says that your king is coming and he is gentle. It doesn't mean that he's weak, but it says that he's gentle and he's coming in on a donkey. Normally when a kingly procession would happen, the king would always come in on a horse. He would come in surrounded by his cavalry and maybe his army, and he would come in as a show of power and a show of wealth and a show of ability, a commanding performance. And yet it said that the prophecy of the coming Messiah, his entrance would be a gentle one. Amazing, fulfilling prophecy right before their eyes. And so they were more and more convinced that this was indeed the Messiah, the one who would deliver them. This was an interesting day. There is in... Uh, Roman historians have recorded at this very same day another procession that happened. Jesus came in from the east side, on the east side of the city. But there was likely another procession coming in on the west side of the city. Imagine how awkward this would be. <laughs> I'm king. I thought I was king. Who are you? <laughs> There's another kingly procession that was happening. And Roman historians have recorded that the governor of Judea, that Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem. Now every year the Roman governor of Judea would come. He would come to Jerusalem from his coastal residence in the west where he preferred to be up to uh, hot, dry, dusty Jerusalem. But he had to be there during Passover. Because think of this politically. What is Passover? A celebration of liberation. A celebration of freedom where the nation that, was, uh, that had the nation of Israel under their control was defeated. And the Jewish nation was rescued and delivered and they celebrated that and they celebrate it every year well imagine if you're Rome or a representative of Rome and you think they're celebrating freedom and yet they don't have freedom I better get up there just to make sure they know we're still in charge and they would have that show of power and show of presence as the city grew to over 200,000 people during this time there would be the governor would come in all of his imperial majesty and remind the Jewish pilgrims that, they were, that the Romans were in charge. So Pilate had to be in Jerusalem. And the Romans, only 80 years earlier, they're the, it was 80 years before this that they had occupied Jerusalem. 
that they had deposed the king and taken over. It was only 80 years before that. And so every year they make sure that they are there. They allow them their religious celebration, but don't get any political ideas. In fact, they want to make sure that the idea of rebellion is even, not even entertained. And so there is occasional historical evidence of rebellion. 35 years before this was the last big rebellion. And it came from the capital of the, the province of Galilee. The city of Sepphoris is the capital, probably just about eight kilometers away from where Jesus' childhood home in Nazareth was. And so the uprising, the rebellion came 35 years ago, 35 years before this date. It came from Sepphoris, and they came up and they, they were trying to overthrow. Well, Rome responded the way Rome always responded to threat, to, that they responded with larger threat, more violence, and they put down that rebellion to the point where when it was over, Sepphoris, the city had been destroyed. They moved all the way up to Jerusalem and made sure they had control, taken control again of Jerusalem and everything was under control. And just to send a message, this is what Rome did. They found out 2,000 people who were thought to be connected with the rebellion in some way and they crucified all 2,000 of them in that city. They made sure that there was an intolerance for rebellion and they made sure that that intolerance was well known. And so here's one procession coming into the city representing Rome, we're in charge. And here's another procession coming in, Jesus, who's thought to be the Messiah, bringing freedom. Imagine the tension that would have been happening there. Let me ask you a question. If you were there that day, which, which procession would you have chosen to follow? I guess it's a similar question that we can ask for today. Not that there's processions going on, but we have a choice. You have a choice. Do you follow Jesus or do you follow something or someone else? Jesus, who is the one who fulfilled prophecy. Jesus is the one who demonstrated his power by most recently, as uh, this week, raising Lazarus from the dead. Recognized throughout much of the nation that he must be the Messiah. Only they misunderstood what Messiah was going to be. We understand now Messiah was one not just for Jerusalem or Judea or one nation, but he was Messiah and Savior for the whole world. And so you and I have the option to choose as well. You see, God doesn't make anybody believe in him. God doesn't make anybody believe or trust Jesus. He doesn't make anybody ask Jesus to forgive them for the things the wrong that they've done. He doesn't make anybody do that, but he allows them the choice. He has his son make the sacrifice to pay the price so that all we have to do is acknowledge, recognize Hosanna, that we are in need of salvation, and respond by placing our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that today, if you haven't done that yet. Recognize that you, like all the rest of us, we're, we don't even like to use this word, we're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. None of us are holy. And yet God has paid the price for my sin, a price that I can't pay myself. And I simply trust him and believe in him. And he says he'll forgive you of your sin. He says I'm not even about condemnation. I'm about forgiveness. Amazing. Palm Sunday was not what it seemed to be 
for people looking at Jesus. It looked like it was a march toward a political throne that was going to end in Jerusalem. But it turns out it does end in Jerusalem, but not the way they had anticipated. It was six days before the Passover. It's called the triumphal entry. And it was thought to be the beginning of Jesus' ascension to a political office. I guess we ask the question, would that, is that what it's going to be? Would this be the beginning that everyone was expecting? Or is it going to be the beginning of something else? The beginning of the end of Jesus' life? The start of the week that really leads up to his death? This is just a small portion of the story. I invite you to come back on Friday, and we can relive what's hap- what happens on that Friday and plan to come with and be with us on Sunday as well, Easter Sunday, so we can celebrate what happens there. This is not the whole story. Palm Sunday doesn't, isn't the end of the story. It's just the beginning. And remember, not everything is that it appears. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no-